From the smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to live. What's happening, Pete? How you doing? How are you, Pat? I'm good. I guess it's a crime to throw a bottle down at the feet of a jogger. It seems like it's illegal, but apparently, uh, yeah, she uh, yelled at something that seems kind of rational, something about going back to Africa or something. Yeah, that's not nice. No, that is not a nice thing. <laughs> I guess black people do get harassed when they jog. <laughs> Well, Apparently. even more so when somebody starts flinging bottles at you. I, I, I would be upset. I would be, too, if I was her. Yeah, um, this is in uh, 53rd place in Broadway and Woodside around noon. And uh, a strange, uh, let's see, uh, 37-year-old woman was jogging 53rd place in Broadway and Woodside around noon, August 17th, when a stranger, uh, shown in the clip, finishing the last drop of her beverage, suddenly threw it at her. Well, she threw it at her feet. Get out of here. And then there's a word, I don't know what it is, but it's N and it ends with R. I don't know what it is, but go back to Africa, she says. Uh, the attacker. That would, that's what we call a clue. Uh, <laughs> that's why you're a detective and, uh, uh, and, and, and I'm a reporter. Or uh, Am I a reporter? No, I'm a comic. Cops describe the suspect as a woman in her 40s with a light complexion, about five foot five, wearing around, uh, weighing around 160 pounds. Wearing it, too. Not wearing it particularly well. She looks all right. Blue eyes, long blonde hair. One of these uh, Aryan types, I guess. Last seen wearing dark sunglasses. Boy, uh, the hate crimes task force is investigating. Has there always been a hate crimes task force in New York City? Uh, we started the hate crimes, geez, probably back in the 90s. They started a uh, unit dedicated to it. We handled quite a bit of them. The criteria always seemed to change as to what constitutes a hate crime. Right, tightening up and, and including fewer and fewer things, right? Well, bec they become kind of overwhelmed, but that said, there was always uh, vague criteria what constitutes a hate crime. Also, as to who makes the call, if it's a hate crime, usually it would be the patrol duty captain. Most duty captains are like, uh, I'd rather go have a root canal than deal with this. Yeah, um, of course, yeah. Dealt with quite a bit of it. The heavier cases generally went to the uh, to the hate crime squad. It was also known as the bias unit. So this guy that you were talking about, he doesn't want to deal with it. Is he? Does he say? So he would send it to them, and then it would be their case. Well, usually you would have to call the captain to the scene. He'd have to make a determination. Um, you'd be surprised. Sometimes the the, the use of the M word is not always uh, considered a hate crime. Same thing with if you call somebody uh, faggot. Um, a lot of it, it's, it's really subjective, depending on the context of how it's used. Yeah, if you're at a poker game and somebody, you know, you might call him a faggot or something, you know. Well, that's uh, like schoolyard shit yeah. from back in the 60s <laughs> when, you know, everybody called each other that. You called We used horrible names. And, um, and, and you could playfully use, uh, you know, the full array of words, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, the language, would... the language was most certainly colorful, um, but nobody got twisted over it. Exactly. Um, that was They've made us get twisted over it. In situations like this. They should be surprised. We uh, pretty common. You get a lot of swastikas drawn around um, New York City, um, and then you have a fair amount of cases that turn out to be uh, unfounded or hoax cases. Yeah, we've seen a number of these news cases. Mm -hmm. I really don't know what's news. going through people's minds when they do this because they these these things invariably 
you know, the story collapses. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't... Uh, they, they, well, the media's been a little complicit, I think, in the last few years, you know? They, they don't really investigate that stuff. Uh, I mean, they're not trying to make it a hoax, that's for sure. Even in uh, the NASCAR situation, they, they, they were The like, NASCAR well, situation was ridiculous. Of course, yeah. 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 You mean this yeah. noose that's tied to a garage door? Yes. You, you know, I mean, obviously, that's... Uh, that's yes, and as you see... It's that absurd. If, you hung, if somebody got hung from there, they would just close the door for them. I mean, that would... But if you looked at the other 39 garages in line with that one, they all had the same alleged noose. Oh. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they were a number uh. of the garages had. It, it's just a rope for <laughs> closing the garage door. Yeah. And this guy was carrying on, and I don't know. Like me, I was a cop for 40 years. I pay attention to things that are like police related sure if i was a race car driver i would probably pay attention to stuff that's in the garage the swastikas are often backwards too that's something that i've noticed and i always think like what that's the first thing you learn on day one of nazi school is how to draw yeah, these are failed nazis yeah um, and you go well i think that must be somebody who's trying to start shit i mean that to me seems like a that should be a failed hoax if you see a backward swastika how could you determine that that was drawn by anybody who was into that Enough to draw a swastika, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so it has to come from you know, and and then we had a case, uh, as you recall, I'm sure that this uh, a young Jewish guy did a lot of. Uh, I don't, I don't even remember what it was exactly that he did, but it was it was, uh, it was some sort of a of a spree. I mean, phone calls, threatening phone calls, and stuff like that, and and it turned out to be a hoax. I think this was in maybe 18 or 17. You get different. Like I said, the the criteria for a lot of these things is subjective. I, I think the police department's making a good effort at it. They've dedicated a lot of resources to it. Um, it's not an easy job. It's not a job I'd want to do, to be quite honest with you. I'd yeah. rather deal with things a little bit more clear-cut, like murders, robberies, and assaults. I don't blame um, you. I don't blame it. Well, plenty of those these days, too, I guess, right? We, we had a guy some 20-some-odd years back. I could flag down the street one night. The woman was a building super on the Upper East Side, and she put up a Christmas tree, a beautiful Christmas tree, as was her tradition every year in the lobby of her building. Uh The Christmas tree was destroyed, absolutely wrecked, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. So, and she she was sobbing. She was in tears. We helped her clean it up. She says, this is two years in a row now. Oh, that this man. has happened, where somebody's come in in the middle of the night and wrecked our Christmas tree. Oh. Being the sleuths that we were, we followed the trail of tinsel and garland up to an apartment on one of the upper floors. You're kidding. They left a trail of tinsel and garland. Oh, this was the Grinch. This was definitely the Grinch that wrecked Christmas. <laughs> and he left the trail right to his door. We pounded on his door. And, um, you know, of course, he didn't open. Um, the woman called us back a few days later. The, the building management got involved, and it turns out he was also the perpetrator from the year before. You know, and he did the honorable thing. He moved out. Oh, um, okay. But, you know, why do you got to be like that? I don't know. 
and it's, I grew up in a different place. Everybody was a Christian. That was it. Everybody had Christmas trees. Everybody. Was like, I don't mind anybody's religious tradition, you know. And and traditions are really important. And the more they take us away from traditions, now I'm talking about not just somebody who's going to steal a Christmas tree, but more like our our mayor Grinch who wants to get rid of the Thanksgiving Day Parade and have it be some kind of virtual event, probably resembling the DNC. Trust me, he's going to cancel Christmas. He is going to be the ultimate fucking Grinch this year. Yeah. He is going to cancel any kind of Christmas celebrations. It also ties into the fact that I don't want any any kind of religious gatherings like in in churches. It's okay to go out and have a BLM riot or a protest. Sure. Yeah, every weekend out in Washington Square Park. Put her an Antifa march, whatever it is they want to do. Yeah. A little rioting, a little light looting. You know, especially in some of the larger churches where you can socially distance and people wearing masks. But they're gonna can- they've canceled all these religious celebrations. And trust me, this Bolshevik, he is most definitely, he's a godless heathen. Mm-hmm. He will cancel Christmas this year. No well, doubt about it. That's gonna, you know what? And, and in Manhattan, there will be people who are angry about it. And then uh, there will be a lot of people who, well, it's not their right to, to endanger the entire community we miss, so we have to stay safe. And the curve is flattened. This is very much like, uh, you know, the way they said, oh, two weeks, shelter in, in place, and then here we are. It, I, I know I've said it over and over again. Please, you know, listeners, bear with us. It's frustrating. It's, it's sort of like the guy, the hypothetical guy who says, uh, you know, just the tip, you know? Like they just, just and yeah. Now well, we're only getting, 15, now we're only, only fifteen thousand more years, and they'll flatten the curve. I, you know, I, I, I don't. I'm tired of the science of it because you get conflicting answers every day. Things change, and that is a, it's not science, right? You know, I I wear a mask when I'm moving around the city to increase the peace. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I I don't want to fight with anybody. I don't want to argue. I don't want to deal with any Karens or Chads. I wear my mask. Yeah. When I'm on the street by myself at night and there's nobody around, I'm pulling the mask down because it does impair your breathing. Yeah. In other uh, words, especially the in the warmer weather. In your blood, yeah. Um, but then you have special category morons with the mask. The other day I was going up the FDR and guy doing maybe 30, 35 miles an hour in the left lane. Now, you get these people all around, but he's got traffic completely just jammed up, people trying to get around them. Uh. And I pull up next to this guy, and I give him the hairy eye to look. You know, I look over at him. He's driving in his car with the windows up, with his mask on. And I really just felt like leaning out the window and say, "Hey, moron! The only germs in that car are you. Okay, <laughs> take the fucking mask off, increase the oxygen flow. Yeah, and maybe you'll not drive in the left lane at thirty miles an hour. Yeah, may have been about to pass out." May have very well been about to pass out. That does happen when people wear them eight hours at a time. Yeah, I would have been like upset. That. The I, guy I, clearly I, never takes it off. Well, I can't touch it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's certainly. Str- I've I've heard stories. A lot like of people that. are reusing the mask, wearing the same mask over and over and wearing continuously. And these masks. I mean, what I'm doing, I'll tell you that. I'm like, I, well, these, these things become germ farms after a while. Um, the whole goddamn city's a germ farm. Well, that's true. That's I mean, true. it's. It, I had a lady run past me, jog past me. I was standing on the corner, and I was smoking a cigarette. And I know that that's. It makes me the worst person in the community to smoke outdoors where people and babies and baby carriages and tiny dogs are. But uh, yeah, I was doing it anyway. I, I flout that kind of thing. And she's she she jogs by me. It's in the morning, right? There's nobody around. She's uh, waving her hand and coughing, right? I'm like, if the mask isn't keeping out this trifling amount of cigarette smoke. 
how much good could it possibly be doing to keep you safe? Especially when you jog. What are you thinking? Jogging, working out, you don't need to restrict your breathing. Listen, if you're jogging in Manhattan, even with reduced traffic that we have right now, with the amount of smog on any given day, you're probably sucking in a pack of cigarettes if you're just jogging in Manhattan. I jogged in Manhattan for years. Mm. You're inhaling carbon. I mean, take a look at a car that's parked overnight in the same spot. Look at that car, say, on Monday. Then look at that car on Tuesday and notice how much dirt is on that car. Uh, well, that's what's in the air. That's what we're breathing in. Along with you the know, ticket. That's life in the big city. Yeah. And and, and uh, I think down there in the subway, too, all these, uh, there's got to be with the brakes, there's metal shavings, I would think. I don't know how Well, the transit gets. cops would be the first ones to tell you about brake dust. Brake dust. Brake dust. It's all over the place. A lot of guys have developed, in the transit police, uh, have developed breathing issues because of the amount of dust. And the, it, it, number one, it's just... It's the lowest point. That's what dirt is going to collect. Mm. But the brakes, also from the wheels grinding on the steel, there's a tremendous amount of dust down there. We would get jobs. You, know, you get somebody hit by a train in the tunnel, and you would walk into the tunnel. If you touched anything, you were immediately coated with, like, like a thick... You, and you couldn't get it off your clothes either because everything in those tunnels is coated with this dust. The railings, it, it, it's it's not even, it's not garbage. It's just the stuff that accumulates in subway tunnels. Uh, I understand people in New York City get lung cancer on average a little bit earlier than, than the rest of the population. But I, I got a question for you now. When people jump in front of trains or whatever and they, uh, they, uh, they, my understanding is that this does this will occasionally get reported if there's some sort of a little dramatic twist to it, or if it's a news day that requires. But it happens every day, is what I was told. It does happen a lot. Yeah, and in, where people don't know, like where you, where and cops and cops have to go down these transit cops and pick up the body, right? I mean, it's, yeah. Generally, the emergency service guys will go down and they will handle the uh, oh, pick up the bodies, and then the transit authority will send the special crew in afterwards that does a cleanup, uh, like a hazmat cleanup, they can be messy. Uh -huh. They can be really messy. I would imagine so. Yeah, I mean, like it's a, that's the whole idea, I guess, is to, to go out in a, a uh, boy, I mean, I, I, what would you even call that? A, a, a sort of, not a blaze of glory, but a... Uh, a squash of glory. Squ <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, when you were on... A squash of gory. <laughs> when you were on the tracks at the level where the rails are, and a train rolls by, and you look up, then you realize how big subway cars are. They are huge. They are heavy. They don't stop very fast. Um, my advice to people is don't play with trains. Um, don't fool around with them. You get people that hold the doors. Um, it's just people that ride on the outside of the car sometimes. Subway surfing. Yeah. It looks like complete insanity. Well, there's all sorts of like stanchions and pieces of steel that stick out from the roof and the walls. And uh, generally, when one slices through your head, um, it, it really will have damaging effects. Yes. It, it, it's not good. It's at least going to be a bummer on the whole ride. This is Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. You're listening to New York City Crime Report. Hey, it's Pat Dixon. Hey, you ever notice how this podcast, New York City Crime Report, never has any ads? You know why? Because I think it shits up a show. So if you want to make up for what the ads don't bring in, 
Go to patreon.com slash patdixonnyc and throw me $3 a month. Three. Three bucks. Five bucks even. A little bit. But it really goes a long way. Make this show go on ad-free. And I appreciate it. Thanks. Two brutes pummeled and robbed an autistic man in the Bronx. This week, 32-year-old victim is walking on East 138th Street near Canal Place in Mott Haven, 4 a.m. Sunday. That's late, late Saturday night for most of us when a man and a woman punched and kicked him to the ground before grabbing his cell phone and wallet. I guess this guy was just easy pickings. The victim suffered bleeding to his mouth and face. Unclear if he was hospitalized after the attack, which the Post uh, characterizes as heartless. Both subjects took off, but the woman was later arrested. Her name was not immediately released uh, by cops. Uh, this guy is the, uh, not the victim, but the other guy, the uh, the, comp- the uh, accomplice here is a bald guy. It looks to be uh, black, round, I don't know, His 40 years old. shaped like a cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> That's a guy that you would hope, you know, you go attacking an, an autistic man like that, a special needs person like that. You know what? Maybe you should have a collision with the subway train. Well, you know what? Yeah. But you know what? Here's the other part of it, which occurs to me. We don't know where on the spectrum the guy was. You know what I mean? He might have we been don't. barely autistic. He might have been somebody they didn't know was autistic. They were just robbing somebody. It's like when somebody, remember the, a lot of these stories in the Post and, and the Daily News, too, for that matter, they'll make a great deal out of uh, somebody being 92. Well, to them, they're just robbing an old lady. She doesn't have a sign on saying, I am 92, you know? I mean, like, not that they would not do it in that case or anything, but it wasn't, like, an element of the crime. Uh, it was. It just worked out that way, and so I understand no, it is they heartless may not either have known, way. But you know what? It, Maybe just, they did. Who knows? Just one of those life tips I give people. Don't fucking rob people. It's as simple as that, all right? It's just really one of these days you will rob the wrong person. Yeah, but that's the addendum that's not on the on the commandment. This is true. And, you know, when you go out robbing people, you know, look at me. I have white hair. You know, I travel around. A lot of times I'm in a business suit with white hair. And my old job, I would be out a lot late at night. Oh. And you'd have some of these creatures out late at night and say, ooh, look at this guy coming down the street. Uh-huh. Well, a little snow on top. Well, a lot of snow, actually, but, <laughs> you know, from a distance, I look like an old man. Well, actually, I am an old man. Let, let's face it. I'm 60 years old. Yeah, that's uh, well, yeah. But that said, I'm probably also one of the deadliest old men uh, that happens to be on that block at that time, because if you rob me, we're going to have a serious problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because uh, I will not go down easy. They may be okay a lot of times, you know, robbing somebody old or anybody or somebody autistic. It could be an autistic guy who's, you know, no no retard to fuck with. You know what I mean? Like, you never know. You don't know. You uh, don't know. But uh, in this case, you know, they just knocked him down and took his money. You know, these terrible stories are the ones that you, you don't hear your AOCs talking about. It doesn't fit their agenda, that's why. <laughs> it doesn't quite, does it? Now, I was out of town for uh, five days, and, and I'm having a hard time catching back up, to be honest, Pete. It's been rather difficult uh, to even become re-engaged with all this stuff because, you know, first of all, it's overwhelming, the amount of shit. Now we have a guy who, in Queens, hospitalized Queens man is charged with reckless endangerment after cops find bomb-making materials in his home. Yeah, I haven't heard the backstory on that one. Um, you know, my my, I've had some experience with finding bombs. Um, it's 
same. It's another one of those things. It's really not a situation you want to be in. But uh, I have come across two doozies over the years. And um, one was a victim of a homicide back in 1990. And we went up to check out his storage bin in upstate New York. And we went there and I was with this guy who would be my age now, an older detective, and we start looking around the storage bin. And I see a cardboard tube with two magnets attached to the bottom. I says, Jimmy, you might want to keep your hand away from that. And he goes, why? I said, that's a car bomb. He goes, the fuck out of here, it's a car bomb. I says, a cardboard cylinder with two magnets attached? I said, Jimmy, don't touch that thing. And I says, over here? I says, that's a booby trap trip device. He goes, how the hell do you know that's a booby trap trip device? I says, because I can read the side of the box that says, United States Army booby trap trip device. <laughs> You're shitting me. You're shitting <laughs> yeah. me. Oh, this guy. I this... thought it was Acme you were going to say. Uh, uh, you know the what? The, the, well, the, the, car, the actual car bomb, yeah, that was like an Acme homemade do-it-yourself uh and it turns out that this guy, he, he was a victim. He was not a good guy. He was a bad guy. And um, He was a victim, you say? He was a victim, yeah. He was found shot to death in his apartment. And, um, you know, he was playing with the wrong people. You mentioned and, that at the beginning. I'm sorry I missed that part. So so he was shot to death and he was making bombs. Yeah, well, he, had, he, was, he was a multitasker, but he was one <laughs> particular guy that he was... He was trying to do his version of a shakedown slash extortion thing. He, we we found out later on he actually did blow one guy's car up. Oh wow! State police came in. They took a look at that one, and uh, they said, "Yeah, it's a car bomb." And they wound up blowing it up on site. Uh, it led into a couple of fascinating areas, uh, but nothing ever really panned out with the other areas that we looked at. But this guy was an interesting character. But he was a guy that had the skill and the capability to make a car bomb. It's not that hard. Is it not? And this is long before the World Wide Web existed. Mm. Um, so he had to read how to do it. Uh, yeah, well, he built it. He, he, these, he actually set it off electronically. Was he a veteran? He had some. He did serve in the Army, but he was not a, uh, not a bomb. He was a computer geek. Okay. He was pretty good with electronics and stuff. And he had booby traps set up in his garage. or whatever. Well, it wasn't so much that the, the trap itself was in a box. Um, oh, okay. It was in storage. We found we found a million dollars worth of stolen uh, movie camera equipment. He'd been working in one of the unions, and he had a dispute with the director. I think he got fired off the set. So he went back in the middle of the night and stole all their cameras. And this stuff is absolutely, you cannot sell this stuff. It's so, uh, Panaflex cameras and stuff, um, it's actually quite um, each piece. I mean, there's just not that much of this stuff manufactured over the course of, you know, a lifetime. Anybody you would sell it to, you mean, is uh, somebody who is going to know that uh, this, how Immediately. did you get this? Immediately. <laughs> Immediately. Strange. You know, and then about a year or two later, we, we get a call from somebody one day. It was a friend of a detective I work with, and she's like, um, maybe you could help me out here. She says, uh, my friend is subletting her apartment to this woman who disappeared. And she says, now 
she came to the apartment, and there's two big steamer cases here. So we called the locksmith, and the locksmith opened them up, took one look, and he says, lady, you got to call the police. And he left. So she didn't know who to call, but she had this friend that was a detective. So me and him take a ride over there. This is on the Upper East Side. So we open up the steamer case, and I see this huge collection of Uzis, uh, assault rifles, shotguns, heavy vest. And these are big steamer cases, real big. Both of them loaded. At which point we realized this could be a problem. All of us leave. Um, the bomb squad people came in, you know, all the, the guys that would handle this kind of stuff. And it was funny. I didn't find out until a few years later what had actually happened. Also in that case... Steamer case was a uh, 36 pounds of Semtex. Semtex is an Eastern Bloc version of C4, an explosive. So this stuff could have leveled that building as well as the building next to it. And uh, the backstory was later on was that a young Irish lady rented the apartment, and then about a month into her lease, she disappeared. So of course. You know, oh, geez, must be IRA, this and that. No, it wasn't. These guys, it was actually part of a Colombian hit team. This was back in the early 90s when the Colombians ran Jackson Heights. They were the power to be reckoned with with drugs in New York City. And um, they used her as their patsy, I guess, whatever. You go rent this apartment on the Upper East Side. Young Irish lass comes in. Nobody's going to get their eyes eyebrows raised up over this and they used it as it their uh like their storage facility wow. and, so, and she was there for only uh a month. she wound up getting arrested with the colombians turns out she got arrested a month later uh, the fed swooped in so everybody was sitting in jail meanwhile this stuff was sitting in an apartment on the upper east side nobody knew it was there and of course, they weren't going to tell anybody it was there, but just some stuff, uh, some cartel stuff that they were going to be using. Yeah, to, eventually uh, it would have been used here in the city. Yeah, uh, the Colombians were the Colombians at that time in New York City were just really the drug crews that were mostly centered around Jackson Heights. They kind of started moving in late seventies, early eighties, and uh, a force to be reckoned with. Um, I'd say so. You know, you heard the expression Colombian necktie. Well, that yeah. was where they would slit your throat and then pull your tongue out through the opening. Um, they didn't play. They uh, they killed a whole family one night on on the Grand Central Park where they machine gunned the guy's car, killed him, his wife, his two year old daughter, and their infant son. So they they knew. Oh, they were upset over something, but that was the kind. That was the way. That was their mo of operation. If you'll go out and kill an infant. You'll kill anybody. I mean, obviously, the infant didn't had, was, you know, not uh, a part of their of not at all. Of but their, these guys had absolutely no qualms at all about unscrupulous to completely kids. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I suppose they do so much killing after a while. That it's just uh, it's a, what's the difference? You know, I mean, like to them, it's just like pull the trigger, walk off. Yeah, they become desensitized to killing. And the, I suppose also they um, oh, sorry, but they they also uh, you know in in doing that are. are are, are these people who are going to get killed if they don't do this kind of thing? I mean, you know, and I'm not, it's not out of sympathy to them, but I mean, is this the situation they're in? Yeah, well, they also know that they could be killed at any time also. Right. They know it. Um, 
you know, everybody thinks that they're going to be okay as they go up the ladder, so to speak. But there's always somebody right in back of you that will kill you too. Yeah. I mean, sure. Jesus, I mean, because everybody's just like you. You know, no, no qualms about killing. And, no. Uh, They've quieted down quite a bit. I, I really, not really my area of uh, expertise with cartels and stuff, but I, I, Jackson Heights is no longer the shooting gallery that it was back in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. And when you say shooting gallery, you mean with shootings and with shootings. dope? You know, well, they were, they were selling a lot of dope, but uh, no, there was... Just this was strictly uh, street shootings. Now, and stuff. Dominicans were big in Washington Heights at that time, too. Yes. Right? So the Dominicans and the Colombians, I guess, were kind of battling it out for. Uh, I mean, they they must have had some some disputes. Yeah, on occasion, you had a crew in Washington Heights back in late eighties, early nineties, and there's been some books written about them called the Wild Cowboys. Um, Washington Heights back in the day was a uh, it was an entity unto itself with violence and uh, you know with the Dominican drug dealers up there. They were they were a uh, hairy crew of people to deal with. I would imagine they were, uh, yeah, not easy to uh, interrogate, flip, whatever it is that, you know, I mean, isn't that the idea? You try and arrest somebody low level and then you just go up the ladder, but, I mean, they're not going to help help you there, uh, right? When I was in narcotics, we we did mostly buy and bust, as we, we used to call it, or buy and boom. Like if a transaction went down inside a house or an apartment, we would hit the place immediately. Uh, nobody does that anymore. That's, you know, considered bad form. You would probably be indicted. Um, well, I'll be that? honest with you. You take out a bad apartment in the building, and the people would actually be clapping. Sure. As you walked out. Yeah. Uh, you'd be surprised. Most people, you take out a, a heavy-duty drug spot in a building where you have families living there. Whole neighborhoods. The whole neighborhood would be happy to see it happen, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, most people didn't, you know, okay. They're just trying to live their lives, right? I mean, I don't want that to deal with that. No, nobody does. Because no matter wherever you have drug dealing taking place, you get the violence that goes with it. Mm. It's going to be there. Yeah. An erratic uh, Queens man, as I was saying, stored bomb-making materials in his home. He's charged with reckless endangerment, which seems like a pretty soft charge as FBI agents, and I'm sure that's just an initial charge. A canine unit and FBI agents removed large bags of evidence. Uh, his name is uh, he's 30-year-old Marock Squires, taken into police uh, custody, and he's undergoing a psychiatric evaluation. Uh, well, after a, being reckless, it's, also, it's just rude. It's really impoliteness. After a, uh, a Tuesday afternoon fire... That's what brought them there to his story home. It later revealed a stash of potassium nitrate fuses, other explosive materials. So there was a fire there. Cops also found books about military explosives, booby traps. This guy's doing it the old-fashioned way, too. I guess he doesn't want his internet search. Uh, he doesn't want to leave a footprint. Booby traps, how to make a bomb, along with survivalist materials. We don't know what he could have done, a 70-year-old neighbor said. Her name's Doros Evangelitas. <clears throat> maybe nothing. Maybe he could have killed himself. Who knows? But he was just a dangerous guy playing with dangerous toys. Uh, he was found outside uh, near the 19th Street house near 24th Avenue. Holy shit. I used to live right near there. Pretty near there. With a combative attitude and burns on his hands. And he was taken to the hospital. Uh, additional charges could be filed against him. I've stopped saying the name of the hospital because who gives a shit. Uh, Squire's uh, landlord discovered the bomb-making materials inside a crate after stopping by the house several hours after the 2 p.m. fire. The landlord, he flagged down an FDNY truck 
firefighters, some in the FBI, the NYPD. So he'd been previously arrested for misdemeanor assault after a scuffle with his 28-year-old girlfriend who suffered a bruised arm and a scratch when he tried to grab her cell phone. Damn. Sounds like he blew up over the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like, yeah, he's a volatile fellow. Uh, the neighbors said Squire's the father of a five-year-old daughter. Mother separated, uh, he and the mother. So he wasn't sociable, says his neighbor. I never connected with him. I, the Daily News coverage, they're always so long on these stories like this where they, they start talking to the neighbors and getting all this shit. It's like, it's, it's interesting enough, I guess, but I don't know. I don't know. It always seems like a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of color to the story. Yeah, yeah. The, the, way, they, the way they do it... I guess it's, you know, so they really like to do the, the eulogies for, like, a dead guy who's, like, is caught up oh, in some kind of, they, like... They bring out the communion picture. They bring out the graduation picture. You know. And they tell you what he was planning to do always, you know. Yeah, he's, he's a big 47 life. years old. Yeah. And he was, he was going back to get his degree next year, right? He's going to get his degree <laughs> in psychoceramic dynamics. <laughs> um, mind you, he's been out committing crimes for 30 years, but he was... Getting things together. He, he was a father of six. Uh, you hear that a lot. A father of a new infant, which he, who he dearly loved. Oh, boy. Well, uh, Pete, it's an honor to have you here. The fact Glad that you to be come, back. In, come and talk is, is, uh, is I'm overjoyed. And uh, I, 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 thanks for your stories, your insights, and your experience. And uh, your experience, strength, and hope. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> have a good one, Pete. And thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. Funny stuff. Funny stuff. Funny stuff. So what else you got for us there, big guy? Oh, boy. You worked for me for 15 years. You got to have some stories. I almost got blown up. So, <laughs> how'd you almost get blown up? Yeah, that was over the uh, Frack City. You were, you were a, a, a liability, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. I ran into all the winners, boy. I get into this one apartment in the Flag City. Good thing the kitchen was like right inside the door. Right. As I walk in, I look down, and there's this elderly, frail Indian man. He's about to set off this pesticide bomb inside the oven. Pesticide bomb. bomb. Inside the oven. Pesticide bomb. Bomb. Of course, the gas will not shut off. Not to mention there's a little bit of a pilot light uh, there. You I'm know. about 270 pounds at the time. I gave this guy a full tackle. We would have been blown up. That's all I would have been told. It was like the, the soldier that throws himself on top of the grenade to save the rest of the soldiers. We would have blown most of the building up. Right, right. And there was a lot of that going on back in the 70s, too. 